This is the LexisNexis Environmental Law and Climate Change Center podcast. Discussions and interviews with leading attorneys and industry professionals. On this edition, Mark Bennett of Miller Canfield. On the ASTM development of a proposed new standard for collecting and disclosing building energy use information in real estate transactions. LexisNexis podcast voted top legal-oriented podcast in the 2008 ABA Journal Blog 100. The annual reader survey of the best websites for lawyers, as chosen by the editors of the ABA Journal. The opinions expressed by guests interviewed on LexisNexis legal podcasts do not necessarily reflect those of Reed Elsevier Incorporated, LexisNexis, subsidiary companies, shareholders, employees, or customers, and should not be considered legal advice. ASTM International Committee E50 on Environmental Assessment, Risk Management, and Corrective Action has announced it's developing a proposed new standard for the collection and disclosure of energy use information associated with buildings involved in real estate transactions. This ties in with the new requirement in California that building owners there are going to be required to disclose a building's energy efficiency benchmarking data to buyers, lenders, and lessees. To talk about the ASTM's proposal is Mark Bennett of Miller Canfield. Mark is senior counsel at the firm and leader of its climate change practice team. He focuses his practice on climate change, green building and sustainable development, carbon finance, real estate development, environmental risk management and due diligence, lead certification, and government economic incentives. Mark, can you talk a little bit about what the ASTM is developing and what it will all mean? Well, let me start with a bit of uh, history because the historic parallels in terms of what ASTM is doing now and what it did in the early 90s for environmental due diligence under the uh, Superfund law, specifically the Innocent Landlord Defense, are are quite striking and I think provide a a perfect blueprint for what's going to happen over the next 12 months in the energy area. Recall in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, the Superfund laws were amended, which drove the requirement for environmental due diligence in the purchase or financing of of real estate. And that spurred the legal community and the consultants to figure out a scope of work called the the Phase 1 environmental site assessment. Well, what's been brewing over the last couple of years is this this plethora of energy and sustainability uh, standards like LEED and CMP and others. Um, And now we have actually state-level regulations, which we'll get into in a few minutes. So ASTM has come together, and literally it's a lot of the same people. It's it's, it's actually the same ASTM subcommittee, E5002, on real estate assessment and management, that is now turning its energy to developing standards for disclosing energy information. And my anticipation is that this will track very closely to how the Phase 1 standard was developed. And actually, the groups that provide Phase 1 and property condition assessment services will actually bolt on, if you will, or evolve their scope of work to incorporate energy and sustainability in the real estate transactional due diligence process. In talking about a possible new standard, what are some of the areas that could be covered? Well, the overarching area is energy, uh, but the definition of energy can be quite broad. It typically starts with what is the uh, historical energy consumption of a building by looking at the actual utility bills, the gas, electric bills, and so forth. But in some states, for instance, California, water is starting with energy because energy is required to move water, to purify water. So water consumption has energy implications. Energy consumption is also a function of the building integrity. Is it a LEED-certified building? Does it have a green roof? So physical building characteristics can affect energy consumption. So it encompasses a lot of different things depending on the jurisdiction. A big part of this is carbon, right? Because as a a carbon tax or a cap-and-trade system comes in, 
there will be an impact on the cost of energy. So if my building is serviced from a grid that has a heavy carbon content, like a coal plant versus a, a wind farm, then the impact on my energy uh, cost will be significant. So if I'm a seller uh, or a buyer, depending on the side of the transaction, uh, it's important to know the energy efficiency and sustainability of my building because it affects the value. Well, you mentioned California, and that, that brings to mind Assembly Bill 1103, which has gone into effect now in that state. Can you talk a little bit about how that came about and what it's designed to accomplish? Well, 1103, Steve, actually was an offspring, if you will, of the uh, Kyoto Treaty principle in the EU. A similar standard started about five years ago called the Energy Performance Disclosure Standards. And essentially it requires a, a building owner upon the sale financing or full building lease to disclose the energy history. It was signed almost two years ago by Governor Schwarzenegger, and uh, the regulations are just now coming into effect, and they're being finalized by the California Energy Commission. The reality is it'll probably start, in terms of the requirement, more like the second quarter of uh, 2010. And the reason it's starting then is very interesting. The, the statute is drafted, basically said that sellers should use the US EPA Energy Star a portfolio system, portfolio management system, to determine the Energy Star rating. Well, what was discovered as the regulators started to look at the specifics was that most of the buildings, some more than 50% in California, could not be rated using the US EPA Energy Star program because of their building classifications. So what California has to do now is essentially build a parallel Energy Star system for the state of California. And that's leading to uh, a later implementation, but it also really underlines the primary legal issue facing the bar right now is how do we develop standards and protect our clients, whether they be buyers or sellers, when the, the standards themselves are very fluid and often vary quite a bit between uh, jurisdictions. And for those who may not know, what are some of the key provisions and components of 1103? The key issue is it, 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 it requires a look at uh, energy consumption, but one of the primary points is that, that the statute says that nothing in the statute decreases or increases the, the traditional uh, requirement to disclose particular impacts on the building. So the lawyers are determining this to be somewhat open-ended, that uh, Energy Star uh, is likely sufficient, uh, is necessary but not sufficient depending on the transaction. And it's not sufficient, especially if it won't work, as we're finding with most uh, properties in California. So what we're doing at the ASD and Legal Committee is trying to determine what is appropriate. If Energy Star doesn't work, where do I go? How do I protect my seller to make sure that a buyer down the road who closes the transaction is not ending up with a building that's performing from an energy perspective much less than the buyer expected, which is going to lead to a cause of action for the seller for the diminution in value tied to the cash flow, which is less because the expenses are higher. So that's exactly what our committee is doing right now. We're, we're trying to, to craft a standard of disclosure that can sort of bob and weave, if you will, as the, the regulations unfold over the next several years. 1103 calls for, quote, all appropriate disclosure. What does that phrase mean? Well, this is a phrase that tracks, uh, actually, again, back to the historic parallels in the early 90s, the concept of all appropriate inquiry into the previous ownership and uses of property, quote-unquote, was the, the, the key term that buyers and lenders used to establish a safe harbor protection from circle of liability. So when I bought a property, if I appropriately investigated the environmental impacts, then down the road, if there was a toxic uh, cleanup, I could lean on this clean harbor liability protection. 
So in a parallel sense, what we have on the disclosure side is what's appropriate. So the all-appropriate disclosure, and, and more broadly the way I'm terming it, is all-appropriate disclosure regarding the energy efficiency and sustainability of the property consistent with local standards and regulations, quote-unquote. This is sort of the, the straw man we're using at the ASTM process because because we have this ever-changing set of regulations and standards, whether it's Energy Star or California Energy Star or um, CMP, the Capital Markets Partnership now has a program, LEED has a program, you, you need to use what is appropriate in terms of that community because that will establish due diligence standards in that locale. So in San Francisco, uh, maybe I need to do the California Energy Star program as it develops and also some local building code requirements. In New York City, it could be something different. In Washington, D.C., I'm required to label my building on a regular basis. So we, we need a standard that's broad enough that can be applied based on the professional expertise of the attorney and the consultant and the appraiser in the actual transaction based on the locale that it's occurring in. Speaking of different locales, in addition to California, Washington is enacting similar legislation. What are the benefits or the limitations of a multi-state approach to transactional energy disclosures? I don't think there's much in the way of benefits, Steve. I mean, it's, it's total chaos. If, if I'm a multi-state operator and a lot of our clients, you know, they own significant portfolios, their REITs, their chain stores, it's very difficult. I mean, if you're transacting a portfolio, you have to go into each state, let alone each city within a state, and figure out what your due diligence requirements are. So, you know, this, this lends itself to a national program, which brings us actually to Waxman-Markey, the bill that's being debated in Congress. There was a, a building labeling requirement. Building labeling is a bit different than transactional disclosure. Building labeling, which also is in play in the EU, requires the building owner to display in, its, in the public space or on a website the energy and sustainability performance, regardless of a transaction. It's sort of like when you go buy a dishwasher, you see the energy star rating. Same thing. I need to expose, make transparent my energy history. That was in the Wax and Markey bill till about three hours before it was signed when it was knocked out and, and is only focused on new buildings. It's now potentially back in in the Senate debate. So we might have a national standard, but even a national standard, it has to look to local regulations because the local regulations are often going to go beyond the national. So unless the national standards preempt local code, which I think is unlikely, it'll just be a starting point. And we'll have to go locally and figure out each building and each due diligence requirement. Talk a little bit about programs that are being started by energy-efficient block grants. Well, that was a big chunk of money, uh, over $3 billion that came out of the stimulus. So the um, Energy Conservation and Block Grant Program essentially funneled money to local communities with a very broad mandate that had anything to do with energy efficiency. And a lot of this money is being used to set up green regulations. So I have several clients that are local units of government. They're hiring consultants and attorneys to enhance their energy codes. And there was another big pot of money, about $2 billion, that came to the state energy programs. And the governors had to uh, represent that they would increase energy codes at a local level to certain international standards as conditions to taking the money. So the federal government has used significant leverage to drive energy efficiency code enhancement at the local level. And again, that ties into what we just talked about, because some of these local standards are driving transactional due diligence requirements, sort of like what 1103 is doing in California. Um, Austin, Texas, actually uh, is attempting to implement a transactional energy disclosure obligation. And, and so all of this money flowing locally is being used by local governments to, to figure out how to set standards 
and drive energy efficiency. And the way to drive it is at the point of transaction. And essentially what happens then is that the lenders become the police force. They won't let the money go out the door until all of the due diligence has been appropriately requ- uh, completed. Are groups like the Capital Markets Partnership or the ABA making progress in their attempts to standardize green building standards? Well, ABA has some subcommittees in this area um, that I'm involved with. CMP, though, is interesting. What they've done is they've put together an ANSI-approved standard, and uh, they've essentially developed an overlay that integrates Energy Star and certain elements of LEED. The challenge with LEED is it's often too much in terms of time and money to determine whether a building has LEED potential in a transaction. So CMP has uh, developed a scoring system where you take your Energy Star score, you take about a dozen LEED credits, and you also take the renewable energy condition of the building, and it rolls up into what's called the green value score. And there's a lot of banks, and there's actually a big program in New York City at the Stock Exchange next week with a national audience. Um, many, many big banks are starting to look at this as, as, as part of the rating tool. It's sort of like a green FICO score, where you can rate properties on a relative basis mm-hmm. as a starting point to begin to prioritize them and go further. So it's one of the more interesting um, tools out there. Another interesting development with LEED, which ties to energy, is LEED now requires as part of the um, LEED certification process that the, the building owner on a regular basis supply the energy uh, history uh, information so that it's not a static certification. So you, you, every, every year you have to continue to provide the energy information. So energy is becoming clearly uh, central. Uh, but sustainability, to the extent that it affects energy and other you know, appropriate issues relative to greenhouse gas conditions and so forth and CO2 emissions, sustainability more broadly is clearly a big part of the process. What are some of the current issues and trends as far as the body of law affecting environmental real estate insurance coverage? It's developing around transactional energy disclosure. Well, a big issue now uh, is just really starting to hit the risk, and I'm going to be speaking about this at the uh, USGBC Greenbuild Conference in, in Phoenix in November is the green lease. And we've been talking about this on our podcast for a while, and it's finally coming out because there's been some efforts to actually develop, develop the model of green lease because everything that we've just talked about in terms of affecting real estate affects a landlord and a tenant. So if I'm a tenant, I have the right to this disclosure. If I'm a landlord, I'm obligated to disclose it. When I'm marketing my building, I need to have the information ready because tenant prospects want to be able to compare one building. And all of the risks and, and rewards in green leasing in terms of the, the liability, if I, if I modify my space, if I remodel, I may have to bring it up to lead. If there's tax credits or utility credits, who gets it, the landlord or the tenant? So green leasing, I think, is, is really going to be a big issue over the next year or so. That one other big issue that I'm involved with is um, called property assessed clean energy, and this is where local units of government are, are lending money to building owners and, and focusing on energy efficiency, and it's repaid as part of the tax assessment. So it's a creative means of financing a lot of this activity. And a lot of this leverages federal money as well from, from loans and grant programs and so forth. Ever-changing, always interesting, right? Any final thoughts, Mark, uh, especially regarding the ASTM proposal of uh, the new standards? Well, I, I think ASTM is, is, is really the, uh, the game to watch, if you will, because, again, with the historic parallels, it, it became the de facto standard. It's a consensus process. All of the stakeholders are involved, and it's not a fast track. We have to get our first drafts in for a meeting in Atlanta in October, and uh, there'll be a vote probably within a couple months thereafter, and I suspect... Uh, Definitely by this time next year, if not early and earlier in 2010, we'll have an approved standard, which will start to impact policy and real estate transactions around the country.
A good number of developments over the past few months and more to come, to be sure, and, and undoubtedly a lot of work to be done. Absolutely, and this is all about opportunity, and I think uh, the bar uh, needs to be focusing on this. Our clients need it, and it's a great means of practice, practice development. It's always a pleasure having you be part of the LexisNexis Legal Podcasts, Mark. We appreciate your time and look forward to having you back as we finish out 2009 and get into 2010. Absolutely. My pleasure, Steve. Mark Bennett of Miller Canfield in Detroit. This has been the LexisNexis Environmental Law and Climate Change Center podcast. Visit the Environmental Law and Climate Change Center and all our communities at www.lexisnexis.com communities. The LexisNexis Environmental Law and Climate Change Center podcast. Copyright 2009 by LexisNexis, a division of Reed Elsevier Incorporated. LexisNexis, total practice solutions. I'm Steve Bursler. Thanks for listening.